Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today with me is Scott Kirstner. He's the CEO and Editor-in-Chief of Innovation Leader. And if you've been following this podcast, you probably followed Innovation Leader because they are one of the leaders in this space of talking about corporate innovation. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you for having me on it, Brian. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to have you on it because we've both been in this business for a long time, talking and meeting people and seeing what's happening in the world of innovation. I wanted to have you on because I know there's a lot of new things that you're going through at Innovation Leader. You're adding a lot of new events and reports and surveys and such. So we wanted to get you on, talk about some of the things that you've seen in the past and where you're seeing innovation going in the future. Why don't you give the audience a little bit of background of how you got involved in this innovation space to begin with? I've always been interested in innovation at big companies and at startups. I've, most of my career has been as a journalist. And so I've, I've written a lot for Wired and Fast Company and the Boston Globe and the New York Times. I sort of think of my beat as like, how do new ideas happen? And then how do they get shaped and cultivated and eventually commercialized? And so about five or six years ago, some friends and I were talking about, basically, you know, we're media nerds. And so we were talking about industries or, or spaces that we thought were really not well covered by the established media. And one of the things that we kept coming back to was the challenges of innovating or making new things happen inside established companies. And we just felt like there's so much media around startups. And if you, Brian, had a startup in, in Lincoln that raises a million dollars, or if it's a startup in Austin or Boston or, or San Francisco, you know, there's lots of media that would cover you as, are you the next Uber? Are you the next Airbnb? You know, here's Brian's cool idea. And yet you looked at innovation and new ideas happening inside of Harley Davidson or John Deere or Marriott or Starbucks. And people weren't really covering that regularly. So kind of the initial premise was let's start writing and researching how innovation happens and some of the tools around innovating inside big companies. And we started to attract subscribers to the website. And we also, as you mentioned, do some events around the U.S. and around the world where we try to get together those corporate innovators face-to-face because we still think that a lot of learning, a lot of information exchange happens the old-fashioned way when you're sitting across the table or having drinks with somebody, it's still a really high bandwidth way to meet people and learn stuff. Absolutely. You know, one of the things you mentioned, this rise of the startups, and I think that is one of the things that started a lot of corporate innovators to peek their head out or look out on the horizon and say, hey, there's a lot of new stuff being created out there and we're creating a lot of stuff inside, but how can we learn from each other? So this idea of startup corporate collaboration that let's dig into that just a little bit, because that's one of the big trends I think that kicked off a lot of this stuff. What are you seeing in the marketplace with corporations looking out on the horizon and saying, there's all this new stuff being created by startups and that, how can we be a part of that? Or how can we take advantage of that? Well, you know, it's interesting because I don't know if you agree with me, but I feel like there's been a lot of snake oil sold in oh, that, absolutely. Uh, you know, around <laughs> that topic, right? Where it's like, hey, whatever industry you're in, if you're making plumbing supplies, or you're selling healthcare plans or financial services, a startup is going to kill you tomorrow. And therefore, please fund our accelerator, sponsor our accelerator, or come to our Silicon Valley conference or whatever the sales pitch is. 
and we actually have an ongoing survey where we ask people at big companies, like, what are the issues that are tops on your radar screen? And, you know, startup collaboration and engaging with startups is not one of the top five issues. It's like number 10, number 11 type of issue in this ongoing survey. The bigger thing that large companies worry about is, hey, we know we have a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of crazy Byzantine processes, and we know we don't tap our employees' ideas really effectively. And so they're kind of thinking first about internal innovation and hacking away at some of the underbrush that keeps people from being creative and productive and innovative inside their own company. I do think the startup engagement thing in a lot of spaces is important when figuring out, are we going to acquire startups, invest in startups, collaborate with them to maybe help them get their products to market or to use their products internally? We have a survey that's ongoing that we're about to close right now on the big company startup collaboration and strategy. Most companies say we ask kind of on a scale of zero to 10, how much experience have you had partnering with startups or investing or being involved with accelerators? And it's a little more than average. So I think, you know, the average number was about six on a scale of zero to 10. It's not something that a lot of big companies have had a huge amount of experience with. And then you ask some more nuanced questions like, is there an ideal stage that you'll work with if they don't have a product? Does it make sense for you to try to collaborate with them? Or, you know, maybe you only collaborate with startups that have had a product in the market for a year or more and have some customers they can talk about. We found that 37% of respondents in the survey say, oh, we engage with startups at all stages, Hmm. which is a little bit of a questionable (laughs) strategy, I think. And then 18% will say, no, we haven't quite figured out what stage we should engage with. And interestingly, specifically, when we asked about seed stage pre-product, nobody said that was the ideal stage for them to engage with. And I think probably in a lot of cases, it can be a waste of time for the startup and the big company to be doing a lot of meetings and a lot of conversations at that pre-product stage. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. Oh, no, without a doubt, my background is starting a startup accelerator and having a lot of the advice I gave to early stage startups is don't worry at this stage uh, to talk to corporates unless you really know who you're talking about and what you're trying to get out of it because it can easily kill your startup real quick, not from the fault of the corporate, but a lot of times they move at different speeds, they have mm-hmm. different uh, agendas, and, and it doesn't always line up. There was this huge wave of interest in this startup theater <laughs> kind of concept or innovation theater where It's like, oh, we've got to think and act and move more like startups. It spawned this wave of accelerators and people kind of throwing things at the wall. And I don't think any of those techniques were necessarily bad in and of themselves. It's probably more of how they executed or what they wanted to get out of it. You know, I work with a number of corporates that said, well, let's try hackathon. But their expectations were, well, we'll do a hackathon and we'll expect to come up with the next Uber in this weekend. And that's not necessarily the best way to uh, spawn those particular ideas. Talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about some of the things that you're seeing of why corporates jumped in full force, and now they're pulling back and reassessing the the landscape? Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But yeah, I mean, corporates need results in a pretty short period of time if they want to keep these innovation initiatives alive. And just taking meetings with startups or making a few put-your-toe-in-the-water kinds of investments in startups, $100,000 here, $500,000 there, that doesn't really deliver results near term. And so the more we talk to companies that have had a lot of experience startup engagement, the more you hear that they're very focused on talking to people in their business about what are the white space areas, the problems we need to solve. They get really good at going out and scouting the world to understand who are the high potential startups that we should be talking to that have 
solutions that could address those opportunities or problems. And they usually have a strategy for setting up a pilot or a proof of concept in a pretty low exertion, low effort way inside their company to say, is there anything here that's going to deliver us results? You do find a lot of big companies where they're doing corporate venture capital. And, you know, we wrote recently about JetBlue Ventures, and they seem to have a very sensible approach to doing corporate VC. But, you know, those things pay off. You really have to make sure that your C-suite is in it for six, seven, ten years to really see the financial returns on those investments. Getting partnerships and collaborations and proof of concepts happening is a better near-term strategy. The other thing that we were talking about just yesterday, we had like a little breakfast gathering at our offices here in Boston with some friends who work in professional services and consulting. And one of the topics we touched on, which has been underexplored by us and by others, is what does the tool set look like for building things at a startup versus a Fortune 500 company? And if you're trying to create a prototype of a physical product or a mobile app or a new kind of retail store, A startup is going to use a whole different set of tools to make that prototype and start testing it than a big company is. And I actually think there's a lot of learning that big companies and particularly their IT departments could take from how startups build so quickly. And it's amazing to me that big companies, they vaguely know that Slack exists, but they don't use it. You know, they are not allowed to use Google Docs because of security concerns. They don't know about GitHub or they're not allowed to use code from GitHub. And They can't buy a 3D printer for some crazy reason so that they're still relying on their prototype fabrication process that takes six months. Right. Versus a startup, they go and they buy a $4,000 3D printer and they're cranking out a prototype every night. Looking at the tool set of startups is actually a way that you could glean a lot and kind of potentially create a lot of new speed and new efficiencies inside large companies. You bring up a great point. We're seeing this democratization of entrepreneurship, so to speak, even within product teams and that on the corporate front, a lot of the folks don't even necessarily know what tools are out there. So if you look at what you can create today with off-the-shelf tools, whether it's you know websites or Airtable or products like Coda that mm-hmm. are pretty much plug and play, drop and drag, things that both give you design expertise and product development expertise without actually having to build all that stuff yourself, that changes the way and the speed that you can create new ideas and test them in the marketplace. And obviously we're seeing that in the startups. And I do think you're slowly seeing in the corporate space, but you're right from the standpoint there, a lot of education needs to be done out there of what's even out there that folks can use. And, you know, as you're talking, you got me thinking another tool is crowdfunding platforms yes. as a way to test demand for new products and startups. They'll have that discussion today and then tomorrow they will have crowdfunding campaign, <laughs> at least right. drafted, if not ready to launch. At big companies, you know, we've written about Bissell, the vacuum cleaner company, and Hasbro, and Anheuser-Busch, and a bunch of, I think Bose did a crowdfunding campaign recently. It's really a battle for them to convince the executives inside their company that rather than the traditional approach to doing focus groups and doing surveys and doing market research in the traditional way, why don't we just put the product up on Indiegogo or Kickstarter and see if people will put money down on the table to buy it? It's hard to think of better approaches to market research than that. I had Slava Rubin, the founder of Indiegogo, on the podcast a year and a half ago, and he was talking about that trend and how it really changed their business to a certain extent, where you know Kickstarter was much more focused on consumer stuff, and they found this niche in the ability to work with corporations and help them prototype and test and match pricing and all this other kind of fun stuff that you could do 
that was so much closer to the customer than most corporate labs were doing in the past. So it's affecting both sides of the table on that front as well. Yeah, totally agree. Let's talk a little bit about another major trend that's happening is this rise of all these new technologies. So you've got AI and smart cars and voice and all these things that are actually all hitting at once. How are you seeing technology and the introduction of these new technologies playing out in the innovation space in the corporate world? Well, one negative way that it plays out is that the CEO or the COO or someone with a C at the beginning of their title goes to a briefing or goes to the consumer electronics show and comes back and says, we need a VR strategy. You know, let's go develop a VR strategy really quick. And they don't talk to the customer enough. They don't really think about what is a business case or use case for VR. It just becomes satisfy the CEO project. So you see that for sure in big companies. The converse of that is it is, you know, companies that are aware of technologies out there and they do the demos and they take the meetings with startups and they get their hands dirty and they have a vision of how their business could apply this. And they do talk to customers and create these scenarios, which don't have to be tomorrow scenarios. They could be next year scenarios or three years from now scenarios. Occasionally, you find companies creating comic books as a way to explain this future. We wrote about Lowe's Innovation Labs. And more recently, I talked to somebody at Bechtel, the giant construction company, about a comic book that they created internally. Or you can create sort of some videos or other ways to communicate. Here's how we see this technology applying in construction or in retail and building slowly towards that and doing a lot of tests and a lot of proof of concepts. I would say that a lot of companies are good at going to the trade show or going to the demo day at an accelerator and being aware that these technologies exist, where they can really improve is by better communicating inside the company and having more conversations and lunch and learns and meetings inside the company where you sort of explore, okay, here's what we think is going to be important to the business. What do you think the use case might be? Bringing some customers into those conversations. If you think about Emerging technologies kind of on a radar screen, like maybe in an aircraft carrier or something, making sure a lot of people can put dots on that radar screen and say, hey, we're seeing technologies here in the customer service group. We're seeing technologies that we think are important. Or I'm a field salesperson and I went to a customer and I noticed they had a 3D printer on their desk. And that seemed interesting to me. Letting people put dots on that radar screen and letting more people view the radar screen so that it's not just an innovation group or an emerging tech R&D group that owns the radar and they are the only ones who get (laughs) to see that important radar screen. Don't let anybody else know what we're tracking. I like that approach. And one of the ways that corporations are going to win in this innovation space is to spread it far and wide within the organization. And that comes back to the, the whole concept of culture and that. What are you seeing from a culture perspective that good companies are doing in the world of innovation to spread the idea of innovation everywhere? I see a lot of them trying to spread that idea of innovation everywhere, particularly when someone new gets assigned to be the director of innovation or chief innovation officer. It can kind of be a little bit of quicksand, to be honest. If you get that job and you decide like, okay, my first year, I'm going to go and visit all of our offices and I'm going to meet with people and run a design thinking workshop or run a lean startup workshop or solicit ideas about how we can improve our global logistics and distribution system or whatever the idea challenge is going to be, because it keeps you busy running a lot of workshops and trying to change culture. But then at the end of the year, at the end of the 18 months, 
how do you measure the impact of that? Yep. You know, it, the quicksand is a little bit of you, know, you turn innovation into uh, leadership development or uh, HR projects. Like, hey, we're trying to make our people more innovative. We're teaching them these new techniques. So I think a different approach is building some stuff and being known as the people who can make great prototypes and put them in front of customers and start gathering data really quick about what resonates with customers, what doesn't, and being seen as someone who's actually building things and testing things in the market mm -hmm. in a fast, quick, dirty way can start to change culture, right? Because other people come to you with their projects and say, hey, could you be involved with this? Or they try to emulate what you're doing. And rather than falling into the quicksand pool of how do we change culture in this 50,000 person company, you get momentum going by like building stuff and people yeah. see that you've built stuff and you've launched it. And ideally it's generating some revenue or it's generating some efficiency or cost savings inside the company. Yeah. At the end of the day, you have to execute and ideas in and of themselves are, are just ideas, but the execution of that, moving the bar and moving the needle uh, yeah. is important. And yeah. people talk about learning as a metric and I'm all for learning. If you start using learning as a central metric, people mm -hmm. start looking at you as an HR or leadership development initiative, as opposed to a true build stuff, help us find new sources of growth initiative. Sure. What are you most excited about in the next six months, 12 months that kind of gets you going in this world of innovation? A lot of what I'm seeing is stuff that we're planning in terms of events, in terms of new research yeah. reports, in terms of we have a print magazine, an old-fashioned ink on dead trees print magazine that we put out twice a year, and we're doing a special issue on the top cities around the world for corporate innovation. So I'm kind of immersed in that right now. The thing that I'm seeing is that there is now an awareness of what some of the best practices are for making change happen in big companies. You with this podcast and with the Inside Outside Summit have been contributing to that. And there are lots of these informal monthly or quarterly innovation networking groups that I've been to that happen around the country. And they're trying to contribute to that. And then we put on gatherings where we try to contribute to that or do it on our website. But just this idea that not everybody should start with a white sheet of paper and try to invent an innovation program for their Absolutely. company, that there's a lot you can learn from this podcast, from Harvard Business Review's podcast, from our podcast, which is called Innovation Answered, and from talking to people in person that really can accelerate your speed because speed is just the one thing. I mean, I'm excited about speed because we're like a tiny 10-person company in Boston, and it's fun to move fast, and we're energized by moving fast. But I do think that these established organizations they need to move faster and think faster and test faster if they're going to survive. Hopefully that's a message and there's lots of methodologies and techniques underneath that message that I think are really building steam, gaining momentum in 2019. I really do appreciate you coming on the show here to talk a little bit about what you're seeing out there. If people want to find out more about yourself or Innovation Leader, what's the best way to do that? Innovation Leader is innovationleader.com or on Twitter, we're at InnoLead. And we also have a podcast called Innovation Answered, which folks might enjoy listening to. Well, Scott, thanks for being on Inside Outside Innovation. Look forward to staying in touch and keeping up with the world of innovation. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Brian. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.